Welcome to Money Conversations with KJ. KJ is a lifelong entrepreneur who's made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, and found his way back again. If you're looking for a sterile how-to, you're in the wrong place. KJ and his guests will walk you through real-life situations told by the people who live them, and they are as messy as they are inspiring. Each episode will offer lessons learned, advice on how to replicate successes and avoid pitfalls, and a new perspective to power your financial literacy. Far from a one-size-fits-all, this podcast can help you build a roadmap to your personal promised land. Milk and honey for some, whiskey and steak for others, and remind you that you're not alone on this journey well hello hello welcome back everybody welcome back listen i'm super excited today we're going to be talking with a good friend of mine oh heck steve how long we've been friends 30 40 years yes indeed yeah well welcome to the program great to have you out here thanks great to be here thanks for having me it's great i think steve's story today guys is going to be pretty inspiring for a lot of you especially if you are an entrepreneur or even if you're in corporate America, Steve's been in both realms. And so he's going to share some pretty interesting stuff with us that I think you you guys can all take away. And so we'll, we'll start. Well, we'll go way back, Steve. We'll go way back when you and I met in the 80s. Um, you were young, younger than me. I think I'm what? I'm eight, 10 years older than you. Roughly. So. Yeah. So anyway, Steve was a young guy. We're both in the uh, landscape construction industry. And um Let's go before that, Steve. Let's let's go back to your young teenage years before and and what what got you to decide to start that landscaping business that you ultimately grew to a very successful business and sold it and made a nice nickel on it. So let's go all the way back to how that came about. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, for me, I really uh, learned early the value of um, buying something and then reselling it or, or having something and the value that people could make off of, of selling it to somebody else or a service. And I um, always enjoyed having money. So my first income was from my father who would send me up to the drugstore uh, on my bicycle to buy him two packs of cigarettes. Back then they were 40 cents a pack and I got to keep the 20 cents extra. He'd give me a dollar. And yes, I know, shouldn't sell cigarettes to minors, but <laughs> it was a long time ago. And um, I started making a profit off of doing a service. And I had to be like seven or eight years old back then. When I turned about 10 or 11, I got what was called a penny saver route back in, in New York. And, you know, I'd wake up on, on Saturday mornings and pack those envelopes, those uh, bags, and my hands would be black. And then I'd go out and, and hand deliver those. And I loved the money that came from that, the profit, you know, and I just really was always looking for ways to um, increase that. So then I grew that once I got a little bit older into a, a paper route um, and then was cutting lawns for all of the neighbors, uh, anything that could generate income for me, I was all about it. That's really yeah, that's kind that, of how it started. That's interesting because I mean, in today's world, I don't think we'll see a eight year old out there almost doing anything for money. But um, and again, it's a whole different era where, you know, you could your parents could send you down and get 
probably even a six pack if you wanted to. But um, uh, what it sounds like that you learn at such a young age is one, you were a hustler. You're like, I've got to go hustle, man. I got to go. I want to make money. But what did money mean for you? Were you making money just because you wanted to buy things or were you a saver? I was both. We would, um, we would save uh, about half of what we would make. So typically when I went into these uh, ventures, it was with a, a good friend or a neighbor. And um, we did, you know, we would go up to the local grocery store and would carry out groceries for people. We didn't work for the grocery store. We would just ask the people if they needed help and they would tip us. And we would run back in and we'd throw half of it back into the asteroids machine and we'd keep the other half in our in our bank, uh, you know, trying to build up for those things that we wanted. And as a result, you know, we were always able to buy uh, nice things at a young age for ourselves because my parents uh, were not wealthy. You know, they, they had a, they made a decent income. They were blue collar uh, workers and they were, they were not well off at all. They always took good care of us, but they, they weren't what would be considered rich today. Right, right. But that's interesting because at such a young age and you got that little taste um, and that really, you probably didn't even realize it at the time. And a lot of people don't that it just really, that's what set your mindset with money. Right. And it makes sense to me as I watched you grow your other business. And when we, be, you know, our friendship began, that makes a lot of sense because yeah, that carried you right through that way. So Let's fast forward a little bit. Then you become, um, let's say you get out of high school. And what was your thoughts getting out of high school, getting a job, starting a business, going to college? What did you want to do? I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be a CEO of a company. I um, really respected and idolized people back then like Lee Iacocca, the CEO of Chrysler and and uh, others like him, um, you know, and I just wanted to be like that person, get up to that level and be able to manage that kind of an organization. That's awesome. Well, you did become a CEO so that, you know, you, you reached that goal. So that was a goal of yours. Like, Hey, that's what I want to do. You know, because we all know that college isn't for everybody. Um, education is right. So what did you do if you didn't go to college, but you, that you, to educate yourself when you started your first business? Yeah, well, I did go to college. I went to UNLV. Um, and parallel to that, I was taking uh, horticulture classes at the community college. I was taking Spanish classes. Um, I was taking landscape design courses, trying to figure out how I could um, use that uh, while I was working. While going to school also, I was working for a developer um, who was building multifamily properties from the ground up. And at the end of every project we did uh, was the landscape phase. And then we would get laid off. <laughs> uh. So me and the guys would, would be looking at each other going, well, what do we do now? We'd be like, well, I think we're landscapers. Let's be landscapers. And that's what we did. And we started taking that to the private sector and seeing how we could uh, make money. And that kept us busy until the next project started up. And that cycle went over a few times until we built up a big enough reputation and clientele to, to just strictly work for ourselves. So when you, are you talking about with your, with your dad, Sammy, when did, when did he come into the picture with you in that business? 
Yep. So I started uh, my landscape company uh, with a couple of other guys from work. And then um, as that often happens, that it doesn't always work out. People have different visions. Mine was very big and bold. I, I, I saw a very big company. I wanted to be one of the top three in the state or, you know, that, that we could be as big as we could. And um, some of the other guys were just content with, you know, which is fine with was making a, a certain amount of money and working a certain amount of hours. But, you know, I think some of your best earning years are when you're young and you don't have a ton of responsibilities. And the number one thing you can do at that age is work. And that's the age I was in. That was my time in my life where I could work 15 hours a day, 16, 17. And, you know, it wasn't a problem. It didn't impact other people. And we did. We took full advantage of that time period, and and uh, that's when my dad came into the organization. Uh, we needed some financing, and uh, he was able to float us small temporary loans um, that we would pay him back, and then we would do another one and pay him back. And that went on for a while, too, and without that, we would have never been able to grow. Um, no bank is going to loan uh, somebody money when they don't have the, the uh, employment or the credit history. So right. having people in your life who are there to be able to do that for you is really helpful. I think that's a good lesson for a lot of folks out there who want to start something. And oftentimes um, they'll use that excuse of not starting. Like, well, I don't have the money, right? Um, or I don't know how to do it. And you're the type of person, a, a true entrepreneur, where we figure things out, right? We don't take no for an answer. So for some of you guys that are out there that, you know, if you're in that whatever age, really, that, hey, I want to start XYZ business, um, you just got to knock on as many doors as you have to, to get the resources, right? I always say it's not about your resources. It's about you being resourceful and, and you leveraged your dad for a little bit there. Um, but more than anything, hard work, right? Just hard work. Do you remember? So you, you got that going, obviously you're making more money than just, you know, the few bucks here, a few bucks there when you were a kid, what did, what type of financial education did you get from whoever, about how to handle and what to do with your money outside of, you know, you, you've always paid your bills. I know that, but talk to the audience about, Hey, I learned whatever you learned at what age about money and how to grow money. Yeah. I had a couple of, um, fortunately I had a couple of people in my life who, uh, cared enough about me to have those conversations. And one of them was my father who, um, you know, stressed how important money was and, uh, how expensive money can be uh, when money's not managed correctly or you're not in a good position, money is very expensive. So, you know, when your credit score is, is low, your interest rate is high. Um, and it really makes a difference. Uh, the world uh, makes the most money off of people who are in the worst financial shape. So he taught me early to be very fi financially strong and that your credit score was was very important and not to let that ever be tarnished. Uh, something I still really um, try to manage today. Um, some other influences I had in my life were um, I had an instructor at the UNLV who also, when we were talking finances, would always tell me how important it was to invest and we and to have insurance. You know, insurance is something that. A lot of people have a hard time justifying and we, we did have a child who was born with some, some problems and we, 
did not have the right insurance and it, it almost bankrupted us. So, you know, after that, we realized how critical insurance was and we've never looked back and it's come in handy. It's paid for itself over and over and continues to, to this day. And then also having those, those investment um, tools, having money to set aside for that rainy day or that emergency fund, uh, having both liquid and then having long-term. So that was something I was very fortunate to learn as well. So you were an entrepreneur pretty young. What, what kind of vehicles were you using? And you're, again, that's your early twenties, right? Let's say below before 25 or around 25. What kind of vehicles were you thinking? Cause as an entrepreneur, much different than a W2 earner, right? These guys go get jobs and then they sign up with, you know, a 401k and you know, then that's all they get. And we know now that, listen, it takes multiple streams of, of retirement to have a nice retirement, but which ones were you taught at that early age of, Hey, go park your money here. Well, um, you got to remember now we're going back to the uh, late 80s, early 90s, and the stock market was the place to be back then. And uh, people were, you you know, you couldn't lose at, at one point. And so we did uh, create an investment portfolio for the stock market and invested in IPOs and some of our customers' companies. So we were doing work for organizations that we felt very strongly about. We wanted to show our commitment to them. So we would, we would buy stock in those organizations as well. Um, we also uh, sock some of it away. You know, we live in an age now where savings accounts pay nothing, right. you know, 1.01% or something. And back then though, you could get 10% in a savings account, you know, and, and, and so we would have liquid money kind of available to us in places like that. And then for more of a longer term, we looked at mutual funds. I um, had a friend from church who was an investor and he told me, you know, you need to be diversified and put me into a, a nice fund that, you know, today I have the opportunity to still benefit from and look forward to using it even more in retirement. So you really, you leveraged the community that you were within your, your, either people that you did business with a little bit of family. Um, were you like, so you, were you really proactive in asking people for help with, you know, your finances or did people just offer it to you? No, I, I think as an entrepreneur, I, I had a little bit of a, you know, I know more than, than everybody else kind of an attitude at that young age and uh, good or bad, you know, that, uh, that kind of worked against me. Probably I probably could have done better had I seeked out, some, some good sound advice and some, a variety more of options. Right. Right. And I only just asked that question because we know in today's world, right. Um, unless you're proactive to learn about how to handle your finances, just basic. I like talking financial literacy, fifth grade level, right? Because when a lot of folks are out there and they start to try to listen about financial education, a lot of the the jargon that you hear just goes right over their heads. They're like, it's, a, it's another language they don't even understand. And there's a lot of things that people can do out there. And I teach it what you can do to you. One, you definitely have to start investing as early as possible. Right. I, I remember when I learned how compound interest really truly works, the rule of 72, which is on time. Right. And so for you guys that are out there that in your 20s, you have no idea how important it is to put money away in your 20s because you start, you know, reaching up 58. Hey man, if I had to put away 10 percent of them, all the money that I made in my career, 
I, I wouldn't even know how much money I have right now. Plenty for sure. Um, so that, that's a good lesson. So the lesson so far is, listen, you hustled early and that hustle really created a mindset for you of, of getting out there. And you were one, as most entrepreneurs, I want more. I want more. And started to get advice from different people um, and asking for it. So people out there, you cannot be afraid to ask people to be either a mentor or just, hey, what are you doing? It looks like you're doing something right. Can you help me? Would you agree? I totally agree. Um, I had a experience a couple of weeks ago with my mom, uh, who's 75 and recently sold her home and was looking for a place to invest her um, proceeds from the sale of the house. And we interviewed with several financial advisors. So to your point about the intimidation factor, um, one of them was – uh, very direct and said, you know, I can put you in this fund and this one. And, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, this one pays me really nicely. And, um, but we're going to do this and this and this for you. And he was basically explaining his costs. The other one was not um, discreet about the cost. He wasn't hiding them, but he didn't really address them head on. Well, her opinion at that, after that was that the, um, she didn't really, she felt like the other guy was charging her too much and really KJ, you know that it comes down to you get what you pay for. And, you know, if, if you want someone to really take care of your money and to watch out for you, there's a, there's a cost that comes with that. And that can be intimidating. We feel like, oh, you know, these guys get rich on our money and this and that. Well, it works both ways. You know, she ended up uh, going with, with the guy after some conversations, and I, I feel like she's in a much better investment right now mm-hmm. as a result. So that brings up a good point because, I mean, you, so your mom sold a house, so she had a chunk of money there to actually work with where a financial advisor would actually talk to her because there's a lot of people out here that are, you know, they don't have a lot of money. Maybe they just got a few thousand bucks in the bank or whatever, or they're living check to check. It doesn't mean that you should not be thinking about investing because, again, the rule of 72 compound interest, just the trickle effect, right? If you, if you, uh, Think about long term rather than short term. But the problem is if you walked into a financial advisor's office and said, hey, can you help me out? And he's going to, well, what do you have? He's going to look at your portfolio, how much money you have. And you're like, I got twelve hundred bucks. He's probably going to say, come back to me when you have fifty thousand. Right. So it's um, and that's what I teach. So I want to teach you how to get to that 50 or 100 K. And then reach a professional like you did with your mom, the guys who are going to really take care of your money long term and all in the right places. But up until you get to that point, there's not really a lot of people out there helping you. And that's where it comes into play. I find through experience that people are learning either from their parents, but I say parents can't teach what parents don't know. So if your parents weren't, you know, hugely financially literate, I mean, you really couldn't learn much from them. Right. Um Let's talk about tradition. So outside of your dad helping you in your business, anybody else in your family or friends when you were younger start trying to teach you some of this stuff? Well, I think a lot of the the people that we um, had fellow businesses with, uh, we had mentors. I had uh, gone to the, um, cut me on the name, the senior. You're going to have to edit this part, Kev, because it, you know, the, the guys that kind of help you out, the retired business executives mm. can't think of their name right now. It's okay. But I think, um, 
I was very fortunate in that I did have a lot of people that, that I could go to. There were other um, entrepreneurs uh, like yourself, as a matter of fact, that we would get together and we would talk about things that we're doing, uh, ways that we're saving money. We would uh, pool our resources and compare notes on things like how we were spending the money for our companies and, and things like that. That was very helpful at that time. I do want to let your listeners know, though, that for as, as good of the story is and as good as it is today, there's ups and downs in everybody's um, journey. Right. And uh, I certainly am not without mine along the way. Which is okay. You know, I, I talk a lot about failures and, and I encourage failures are a good thing because failures are, are stepping stones of learning, right? We can't learn if we don't fail, right? If you're not failing, you think you're doing everything right, but you're not. And then you're going to have a really big fail. Um, failing is fine. There's nothing wrong with failing as long as you learn and there's a good takeaway from it. More importantly, I know you and I have had this conversation years ago about we want to learn from other people's mistakes, right? I don't want, I don't want my dollars to be at risk from a learning lesson. But even though, like you said, you know, I don't think there's an entrepreneur out there that hasn't had a roller coaster of a ride with, with uh, money, right? You're, you're real high and then you get the real lows. But uh, ultimately it's still, if you're have the mindset of being an entrepreneur, um, it's, it's totally worth it. But let, let's talk about, because you were an entrepreneur for the first half of your life, and you sold that business and decided to go to the corporate world. So you kind of, oftentimes it's the other way around. People will start in corporate America and kind of get tired of, you know, punching somebody else's clock and then they go the entrepreneur route. So your story's a little different. Let's share with the audience that may be out there who um, is maybe going the route that you did. Yeah. So um, I sold the business in Las Vegas and decided to move the family out to the Carolinas um, there was a idea maybe to start a new business, but the timing wasn't really right. So I looked at some different, um, opportunities, some, some larger organizations and, uh, dipped my feet in with, with a, a lar very large, uh, landscape company. And, uh, I loved it. You know, I liked working with them. They, uh, had a lot of freedom, a lot of, they gave us a lot of, uh, liberties, to be able to do a lot of the, the things that we wanted to use our creative experience and our life experience to go out there and, and do our thing. And um, I saw another opportunity that came up with a manufacturer and uh, this one was even better. It uh, gave me the opportunity to travel and the opportunity to use my sales acumen and my people management skills in the same place. And I uh, have been with that organization now for 14 years and uh, it's been incredible. Now that company is an ESOP. And if you ever have the opportunity, your listeners ever have the opportunity to go work for an ESOP, I highly recommend it. Employee stock owned companies are amazing. And the theory there is that each employee treats the company like it's their own. And as a result, the output is so great and so high that the profit is also great and high. Hmm. Good to know. Good to know for, you know, you young entrepreneurs out there. Uh, again, the entrepreneur lifestyle. I mean, you have your time freedom to an extent, um, but I also I often share with people if you want to start whatever type of business, unless you're ready to eat, sleep, three, 24, seven about your business, don't start. Right. Your business is not your job. It's, it's really your life. Um, so when you started with that company, you went the corporate world. Did you start handling your money differently? Were you putting it in different areas? 
Yeah. So it was the first time in my life um, that I had an external 401k, you know, prior to that we had, we managed our own through our company and um, our own private investments. And now I was jumping onto someone else's uh, program and uh, kind of, you know, trusting uh, the system and trusting the company. Um, and that, that worked out well. So that was good. And then of course the employee stock ownership has been something that uh, each year you get issued a little bit more uh, shares if it's a, if it's a profitable company and that's been something that's been good too. While also on the private side of my life, taking money now from different uh, pools and putting it into other things you had mentioned earlier. Um, if you know, having people in your life that are willing to invest in you, I invest in people. Um, I've made several offers to small businesses and small um, companies that I've seen to see if they, they want to benefit from a cash influx. And I've partnered with several of them. Uh, it's been a, it's been great for them. They got the money they needed. It's been great for me. I got a higher return than I would have anywhere else. Well, absolutely. Anytime you can be a private investor, meaning you're investing your dollars in other companies. Yeah. You're going to start to get, you're going to, well, you're going to ask, there's hardly anybody to do there for single digit returns. You're always going to get double digit returns. And, and, and if you can start to get that double digit 14, 15, 20% returns, you're going to grow money pretty fast. Let's kind of switch those, t- turn the corner here and talk about um, back to tradition and you've got kids. How, how has it been teaching your kids about money and how receptive have they been? Um, I think it's been tough. You know, um, it seems like uh, kids my, that are my kids' age, uh, um, they see a lot of uh, people uh, making a lot of money in a lot of different places, mostly on social media, and they, they want to be that person, but they're not sure how to do it, and they don't seem to want to put in the time, energy, or effort to, to get there. So when my kids come to me frustrated and they want to know the, the secret to um, getting rich or getting money or living a good life, I only can tell them hard work. It's the only thing I know that will uh, get you there. And once you have the hard work and you're able to make some money, then you can put your money to work for you. But outside of that, I don't have the answers for them. Uh, I wish I did. (laughs) Yeah. Well, again, you know, back to, and not that that's a bad thing, right? I mean, I don't want parents to feel like, man, I'm a loser parent. I didn't teach my kids about money. Right. Um, If, if we don't know, then we should probably at least step up and get them to understand you need the financial education, especially when they start to get, you know, in those late teenage years or young adults and they're out making money and what they're doing with their money you know, it's really, really important because you learned your habits really early at that seven or eight, right? You've got that, that mindset of hustling and wanting to make that extra money. And a lot of these kids today, and it's, I use that word loosely kids because my oldest is 37. So anybody under 37 is a kid to me, but uh, to get them to understand that uh, money is a tool and like any tool, we need to use it correctly to best use it to our advantage. Right. Um, But we're all playing this financial game and like any game. And I say it over and over again, if you don't know the rules to a game, you're never going to win. Right. So the sooner that we could teach the kids the rules of the game, which is one, a good work ethic, right? Make your money, save your money so you can put your money to work. It's not always about gratifying yourself on materialistic things. Would you agree? Totally. Um, you know, I'd want to elaborate a little bit. 
Uh, I feel like I coach my kids on a regular basis on things. I feel like they come to me on a regular basis with ideas or questions. Uh, I try to make good suggestions and then, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. Ultimately, I think they, they always come back and, you know, kind of regret that they didn't do it <laughs> the way that, that we kind of showed them. Uh, and then they go back and they do it that way for sure. But um, yeah, everything from, you know, interest to renting versus owning versus saving. Uh, it's all important things that I, we're constantly trying to stress. And um, it's harder and harder to save these days because those, those you know, it seems like uh, to your point earlier, you got to have money to make money, you know, so they don't know where to start. And, uh, but really the place to start is just start saving, you know, and, and go from there. I agree. Savings key. Um, but again, I shared with you earlier on my youngest daughter who she's 21 now, and I taught her those lessons early. And I think you kids that are, if you're out there and you're still with mom and dad, man, take advantage of those years, go make some money. You have no bills. And stop buying nonsense stuff and start putting your money away. You know, I had my daughter open up her Roth IRA at 17. She fully funds it every year. That's how she was able to buy her first property at 20. Um, and why she has a, a, she's financially secure, which means she has money to pay her bills for six months. And then she's got money on top of that. So she doesn't hurt for money. But she's also, it's funny, there's a fine line between frugal and cheap. Would you agree? So... I think these kids need to learn how to be frugal at a young age and, and not watch um, the Kardashians or something that are just spending ridiculous amounts of now they make ridiculous amounts of money and that's why they spend it. But let's not try to emulate that because uh, you're just going to, you're never going to get ahead by doing that. Um, talk to me about uh, retirement. What are your thoughts on retirement? Because uh, I'm in my late fifties, you're in your early What's, what's your mindset about retirement right now? Oh, such a great question and timely too. I'm 54. I'll be 55 uh, in April. So I'm actually targeting, uh, we talked about goal setting earlier. I'm targeting retirement around 60. Uh, and I'm hoping that um, I'll do something in retirement that I enjoy that will also generate some kind of revenue for me. Uh, so I'm not going to consider it necessarily a job, but something more of a hobby or a, a craft or a consulting or something that I'll still continue to do, but um, not necessarily in the capacity that I'm working today. That brings up a good, I mean, if we, we talk about that word retirement, and I think it's just taught to us from a very young age. And then when you're in your 20s, if someone talks to you about retirement, you're like, I don't want to hear that. That's so far away. I don't want to worry about it. And the reality is you should start worrying about some sort of a retirement at an early age, because I think this this country has programmed people to think that retirement's an age and retirement is not an age. Retirement is um is a financial you know, dollar amount that makes you comfortable in life and what you're going to do. So when you just describe retirement, you didn't describe, hey, I'm going to quit work and I'm not going to do anything. Um, your retirement to you, which it is to me also, for most people it is when you don't have to work to be able to, to sustain your lifestyle, but you want to work because you want to go follow a passion. And it's going to bring some extra cash in to whatever that, that is for your lifestyle. So I think for people to understand retirement is not an age, because if you thought retirement is an age, look at some of these young entrepreneurs that are billionaires like a Zuckerberg, right? That kid became a billionaire at 24 or something, right? Because he created something incredible that the world wanted. Um, 
and he didn't stop working because he's a billionaire, right? He was following. He just did all that out of passion. So be careful. I think out there thinking that retirement is your total goal. I, I try to teach that your goal should be to be financially independent first, which means you got to understand the difference between being financially secure, being financially independent or being financially free, because there's three meanings to all of those meanings. So Steve, what, how, what do you believe those to mean? First, we'll start with being financially secure. Financially secure, I think, is um, having the the cash on hand. Having well, first having your your bills under control uh, and managed in a way that you're living within your means, um, and then uh, financially secure would mean that you have the income coming in that exceeds your expenses uh, at a good ratio and that you also have those reserves that you talked about your daughter having those six months of minimum of reserves on hand in the event of something happening. Right. So you've kind of mingled the two together. So the, the actual definition of being financially secure, and this should be everybody's goal when you're in your early twenties or you just start working, which is to actually have six months of your living expenses. Now, when you're 20, whatever years old, your living expenses aren't probably a lot of money. Uh, when you get married, have kids, buy a house, obviously your living expenses get larger. And for some people to be able to put away six months of your living expenses could take some time. It's not something that can happen overnight. But what it does do for you, we are just, you know, seven months, eight months into this pandemic. And a lot of people suffered because it was up when it hit like 40 percent unemployment rate or something. And it's come down. But a lot of people got in trouble because too many people work paycheck to paycheck. And so I think that people should strive to become financially secure. So when emergencies happen, because I have one daughter who's a hairdresser, if she were to break her hand somehow out doing whatever, she can't go to work now. Right. So if you're the type of person that works with your hands or, you know, physically, you can't work. You, your bills don't stop because you get hurt, right? So put yourself in the position of being financially secure. You're going to sleep better at night. You're going to know that your bills are going to get paid for at least six months because that'll give you enough time to either heal up or if you lose a job, you typically you lose a job, you get another one in four to six weeks. You're going to be fine. You're not going to freak out. Being financially independent is you started to explain it on the other side, which is when you make enough money and you put that money to work and there's a lot of different vehicles to put it to work in and that money, so that money gives you dividends that supports your lifestyle. Now, that's a huge that that number is all across the board and there's no right or wrong answer, because I know I know people out there that are happy to retire and live on like two thousand dollars a month. And there's other people out there I know that say, hey, I cannot live on less than 20000 a month, right? I, I need the big mansion, the new cars. And th th that's the lifestyle they want to live. So obviously you need to do all the right things and a lot of good things with money to create a $20,000 a month lifestyle that, you know, your money's paying you back. And then ultimately, the ultimate goal would be financial freedom, which is simply you're, you're going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of over $10 million because then it, whatever you need or want is not about money at all. You're probably thinking about setting up legacies, giving more to charities, all that kind of thing. But I think people, especially the younger ones today, are watching all these young entrepreneurs who are making, like you said, a lot of money online. And I mean a lot of money. I, I watch I. I'm on YouTube a lot. There's 20 year olds making hundreds of thousands a month, not a year, but a month. 
And, you know, they're out there buying the Lamborghinis and the big houses and all that stuff. And I kind of think like, man, these kids are almost like like sports guys who make all that money. And statistically, we know these, these sports guys who have these great careers end up with no money because they lived high on the hog. And a sports career generally is 10 years. Some of them will go longer. So I think the good lesson for a lot of you guys that are out there is, you, you know, it's funny, you, you're, um, your last name is Hare, right? And you got the tortoise and the hare, you know, saying, you know, but you, you should really just try to strive. It's, it's a long race. It, we're all, we don't know our last day on this planet. You know, hopefully, Steve, you and I got another 30 plus years to go. And uh, you've got an amazing skill set that uh, could benefit not just yourself, but other people. Um, so I, I think that's really cool. So I think today's takeaway guys from Steve would be, man, start a hustle, start hustling early, get that mindset going, get just thinking about, I've got to get to the next level. Don't get complacent. Don't think that people are going to take care of you. You know, I know Steve's worked hard his whole life and I don't, I really can't remember you leaning on anybody, right? Oh, not really. Um, and I, I think, you know, if you want one more takeaway, um, be good to people, you know, uh, good things happen to good people. And when you treat people well, people treat you well back. And that's something that we really need a lot more of right now. And some of the best relationships and the best tips, investment tips, um, people that I've met have come just from a casual conversation of, of showing some respect or appreciation to somebody and, you know, having it bloom into some type of a relationship, professional or friendship or otherwise. I agree. That's like giving back, you know, creating good relationships is like giving back. Um, that's really awesome. Well, guys, I hope you got a lot of value here. I think um, Steve shared his story, which was pretty incredible. Being an entrepreneur, recognizing uh, when he sold that business, found other opportunities, like I've talked before, opportunities happen to all of us. I believe every day it's just recognizing them when they come to us. So hope you enjoyed it. Drop me an email. Drop me a comment. Steve, thanks for coming out. Good talking with you again, buddy. And I know we, we talk on a regular basis, but thanks for coming out and sharing with the people. You're welcome, KJ. Thank you. Okay. You guys take care. We'll catch you on the next one. Have a good week. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, really enjoyed making all these episodes for you. Remember, we're just having uh, conversations with people's journey with money and the things they did right with it, the things that did wrong with it. And uh, how, how did they really come about getting their mindset with money? So uh, every episode's different. We all have a good takeaway from them. So do me a favor, hit the like button, smash the like button and subscribe to my channel because every episode that I do is going to be different as all our journeys are different. So you guys take care and uh, we'll talk to you next week.